Welcome to Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers Podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm Steve Garshinsky. I'm joined by Ryan Top and JP Breen is back. JP, how are you doing this week? Just uh basking in all of the baseball moves that have been happening. I was gonna say it was so much fun. Yeah, you missed you, you missed a, a week here and or a couple weeks, I guess. Yes, yeah, well we had after after Thanksgiving there was a bit of a break, <laughs> even though you guys did the emergency pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there've been, there's been a lot of movement that you haven't been able to talk about yet. So I, am sure everybody's just waiting for those hot takes. Are you coming? Are you bringing the heat? Oh, I can bring the heat today. Don't worry. The spicy takes the extra, the, the muy caliente takes. I guess when we say hot takes, does it mean like fire hot or spicy hot? I don't know. What do you think it usually, I don't even know what muy caliente it just means very hot spice, yeah. right? <laughs> We're gonna have a I don't know one of the what, what are the arguing shows that are on now first take yeah or what's the Skip Bayless one uh, I don't know he yells at Shannon Sharp though right yeah who JP's got to be Skip you'd be Shannon <laughs> I, the thing like Skip Bayless's stick is so easy it's like basically try to pick some trolling thing that you can't actually disprove. So you can just say it over and over again because every time somebody tries to come back at you with like stats or something like ra- some rational argument, you're just like, "Look, I'm just saying how it feels, okay? Yes. Just saying how it feels. I'm saying it feels like that person isn't clutch. I'm f- it feels like they just don't have what it takes, and you can't argue with that. And it just sits and trolls everybody, and everybody tries to come forth and say like, "Well, if you look at the stats, he's like, look, I'm just saying how it feels, man. I'm just saying how it feels.'" Yeah, that's why it's so frustrating that they keep putting those shows on because it's like nobody watches them. But nobody watches anything at that time of day. So it's like, well, this is a success in relation to everything else that's garbage. Yeah, they're like, I imagine it's the sort of thing that's really popular with like uh, 18 to 22 year olds in college. Well, I think it's also just like, I don't know, any place you can put a TV on and then you can put a little super underneath it that says something like inflammatory. Like nobody, there's no way people listen to that. And there's... I. I cannot imagine that there are 18 to 22 year olds that want to go and listen to what Skip Bayless has to say. I, I can't imagine that that's not their core demographic. I don't know who else it would be. Oh, I think their core demographic is definitely like 55, 55 to 65 year old uh, dudes who like just have a lunch break. White guys who get triggered by stuff. That's basically what it is. Who who essentially talk radio? Who's some old white dude that's being triggered today by uh, spicy takes on on cable TV? That's basically what it is. Don't watch it. Turn it off. Turn it off. Just listen to this. So uh, remember, you can help fans find this podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can follow the three of us on Twitter, and we'll tweet that out on Monday morning when we drop this podcast. So uh, check out our Twitter feed for that. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast network, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and the reporting is eligible weekly Packers preview. So definitely check those out. We have a minor league pod coming up soon within a week. Yeah, it's going to be this week. So we'll probably be recording on Wednesday. So if you have questions, I'll throw up a thing for questions shortly here and then you can send them in. It'll be a, a listicle episode, correct? Well, yeah, we've got to do our top tens. So we need to do that. So it'll be a deep dive into that. People like lists and arguments. So as long as you're doing one of those things, it should be a, a fun listen, I guess. So anyways, uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute Block Party and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. On December 20th, Carbon 4 will be releasing Threat Level Midnight S'more Stout. This beer always goes fast, and for the first time, they'll have it available in cans to take home. So definitely go out and get some of those. What would you do? Would you buy the cans, or would you just go there and fill up? Uh... I probably wouldn't buy it because it's chocolate. So, Oh, that's right. You're a weird non-chocolate person. I can have beers that have some chocolate. Like if, if they put, you know, uh, cocoa nips, I guess they call it in there. Like if they put that nibs, not <laughs> nibs. If they put that in there, like I can generally be okay with that but if it's like really chocolatey like if if somebody says oh yeah this this beer tastes like you're drinking a s'more 
I would go, mm, I'm going to pass on that. Because if it's real chocolatey, it, it just doesn't do anything for me. JP, chocolate, yes or no? Yeah, certainly. I prefer dark chocolate to milk chocolate, though. Damn, the and takes the takes are hot already. You almost white. did a John McLaughlin right there. That was... I was going to say, and uh, white chocolate is trash. It's oh, not white, chocolate. White chocolate is delicious. You shut your mouth. It's one of my least favorite things to eat. I don't understand that. I mean, it isn't chocolate. You're right, because I don't think it actually comes from... White chocolate is the tofurkey of candy. Yes, good. There you I go. Think it's very tasty. You're, you're both Philistines. Okay, so actually get the threat level midnight. It has some chocolate in it, so Ryan won't be stealing yours anytime soon. Um, what else I got going on? Oh, yeah, get the cans, and uh, there will be an all-day party celebrating this one-of-a-kind beer at the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side. As always, get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKETailgate. Check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. So we did uh, get a couple signings this week. Oh, they did? Yeah, yeah. reasonable amount of stuff. I really. heard the Brewers weren't making moves, but it seems like guys are filling out the roster. You know, what do you think, JP? Are they making enough moves or are they just not sexy enough? Is that the biggest issue? Well, I think part of the problem now is that we've got this entire thing in which we've been talking about how much payroll space is there and they're filling it with guys that don't necessarily cost a lot of money. So they might not be making the right moves yet. But I know 2012 JP is very excited about one of the moves. Heck yeah, man. Okay. I love because uh, look, if you're going to put Brad Anderson on the roster, uh, then like 2012 JP is is super stoked and he's ready for him to get injured. Yeah, so the Brewers signed Brett Anderson uh, for a guaranteed $5 million with $2 million in incentives. Mm -hmm. um, he, Brett Anderson, I was shocked when I looked this up because I figured he threw, I don't know, anywhere from 40 to 70 innings a season, and that was pretty much it. He threw 176 innings last season for Oakland. I mean, yeah, considering was... 2016 to 18, he had 147 total. It, it was rather shocking that he was able to get to that point. Yeah, so JP, likelihood that uh, Brett Anderson throws over 100 innings in 2020? Oh, I think it's pretty good. It's it's still one of the things in which I think he's probably coming to a roster and an organizational philosophy in which they're not going to ask him to go more than five or six innings at a time. And in in terms of trying to keep his arm healthy, it's probably the best case scenario for for him. Uh, not, you know, like going going somewhere where they're going to want him to try to be an absolute workhorse because they think he's all of a sudden a 30 start guy going forward. They're still going to be in a situation in which they're only going to ask him to probably go five or six innings. They're still probably going to skip him from time to time. Um, they're going to have enough depth to be able to make sure that they're using him uh, appropriately. It, this is just. A good scenario for somebody that has struggled with injuries over a long period of time. Now, what does Brett Anderson throw nowadays? Because he's not the pitcher he had been. Yeah, he's mostly a ground ball dude. And unfortunately, the ERA was pretty good last year, but not much else was all that good, unfortunately. The so, innings were good. When he still doesn't walk too many batters, it's just he doesn't really strike anyone out for the modern game. His numbers on that front looked like you were looking at something from like 2003. Yeah, I think he's probably coming to the best organization for him for a guy who doesn't necessarily throw a lot of innings per start and has had a lot of injuries in the past. I mean, if you do look at what he's been doing, you know, he used to be kind of a big high fastball curveball guy and he he had the quote I don't remember who who it was with. It might have just been in one of the calls in which he said basically everyone is pitching now like he used to pitch in like 2009, 2000, you know, 11 or whatever it was. And now he is turning into a guy who is relying on contact and ground balls. And he's a dude who's going to throw a sinker. He's been kind of messing with a cutter a little bit, which isn't necessarily surprising. Most pitchers who are losing a lot of their big time stuff are moving to trying to to go with cutters, especially if they're lefties. And and he's somebody that doesn't miss any bats at all. I think his swinging strike rate was about 7% last year. He is going to be a guy who is going to frustrate a lot of a lot of Brewers fans because he is going to rely on a good defense to be able to kind of like, I guess, convert a lot of his uh, balls in play into outs. And it'll be interesting to see what ha ends up happening because as it goes right now, if 
Luis Urias is going to be the shortstop and it's not going to be Orlando Arcia. You know, Hira is fine at second base, but he's certainly not a plus second baseman. We don't necessarily know what's going to happen at third base or first base, but a dude who gets a lot of ground balls and is going to rely on that, that's not necessarily a huge recipe for success. Yeah, I asked this week on Twitter after the Anderson signing, if the Lindblom signing and the together with the Anderson signing, does this represent the Brewers basically making a bet that the ball won't be juiced next year? Or is that is that an overreach? Uh, I, well, I mean, I do think that the ball is going to change somewhat next year. I think they've had way too much bad press to not change it. I think basically what they've been trying to do is trying to say that, yes, basically something did happen with the ball, but it wasn't our fault. Um, even in their own report where they were just like, we, you know, changed the process, but it's not our fault. It wasn't intentional. And I, I mean, maybe I don't, I mean, Brett Anderson's not somebody that's really impacted by that in the first place because he put so many balls on the ground last year. You didn't see his home run rate spike or anything like that. He's been getting for 54, 55% ground balls for a long time. He seems to me like a guy who doesn't really rely on anything with the ball. Now, it, when I brought that up, Nick Sattel brought up back to me and asked, so does this mean that there is it more about uh, them getting guys who aren't going to be as affected by pitch framing? Do you think that Lindblom and Anderson represent that? No. Okay. I don't, I don't. I guess I don't know what that means other than like maybe guys who are going to try to pound the absolute middle of the zone and try to get the ball on the ground. I don't think that that's necessarily a, a plan of action for the team at all. Uh, I think... Yeah, I think it, they're looking for innings in depth right now at at, uh, at prices they like. And Brad Anderson is a dude who showed he could have some success last year. But, I mean, Brad Anderson last year, you know, his DRA was like above five and a half last year. And so while you can sit there and look at his ERA and say that, yeah, he threw 30 plus innings for the first time since, what, 2015? He's not striking anyone out. He, you know, he doesn't really walk too many guys but he's going to be moving to a worse park. Uh, the defensive infield might not be that great. And I don't necessarily, I think that he is a guy that needs to be working the edges of the zone. He's not going to be somebody that just wants to sit and throw, you know, belt high fastballs all the time. Yeah. That was kind of my inclination too, is to think, yeah, these guys probably have to be around the edges of the zone because they don't have the pure strikeout stuff that some guys have where they can get swings and misses uh, by like being inside the zone. So I, yeah, it's, it's very curious to try to figure out. I, I think that they did go and add depth here. Like we're seeing that they have now a much deeper pitching staff uh, than they had before, but I'm still not sure like high end where exactly this one compares. Well, you, you would mention now that the Brewers signed Josh Lindblom uh, three year, 9.125 guaranteed. Um, he can max out at 18 million with incentives. So they went back to Korea to go pluck a guy and bring him back to the U.S. Uh, it worked pretty well last time. It worked well last time when they went and got Eric Thames, you know, as a hitter. So now they're trying it with the pitcher. Um, JP, do you have any scouting report on Limblum at the moment? Uh, so no, I mean a, a little bit. I mean I know that Lindblom basically reinvented himself as as a splitter specialist a dude who's been able to show that he can miss balls i think he's fastball splitter he's got some kind of breaking ball i think uh i don't necessarily know 100 percent, and obviously it's not like i'm following what's happening in the korean leagues all that closely but i it seems to me that he is he reinvented himself a little bit with with a a, a good split fingered fastball and they're gonna see how it works in the big leagues but i actually don't think that it's an interesting offseason, right? Because for the longest time, we were watching them shed contracts and saying that they didn't want to pay the prices for somebody like a Zach Davies or a Junior Guerra when they thought they could get somebody for cheaper. And it was one of those things in which we were like, well, if they can still fill it out for guys who are cheaper but can still provide the depth, that actually frees them up to be able to potentially go in for one of the big boys. And we didn't, we didn't, whether that's the starting rotation or whether that was, you know, Rendon or whether that was somebody else like a Josh Donaldson, you know, somebody else that they could go and spend 20 plus million in a year on. And they've chosen to kind of basically bet on the thing that we've seen them bet on the last two years in which they said, we can just go and get a crap ton of depth 
and we can go and get guys that we think that we could potentially get a good deal on. And we're going to throw them into this, this rotation as a whole and just make the bet that depth is going to actually be better than the sum of its parts that we're going to go and get guys that are not necessarily great pitchers on, on their own, but we're going to just throw them all into the mix and just take another bet again that it's just going to be a ton of guys who can come in and kind of be league average. Yeah, and Lindblom, looking at his numbers from the KBO, this year he, he took a pretty big step forward, actually, in terms of uh, K to base on ball ratio. He was uh, 8.7 strikeouts per nine and 1.3 walks per nine. So he was all the way up to like six and a half strikeouts for every walk. That's really, really good. Now, how that translates to the United States is still an open question and how well he's going to be able to especially get batters to swing and miss in the United States is something we're going to have to see. But yeah, I mean, my point would be two things on it. Uh, Number one, just because I know that I saw I saw Toby. No, it was Jim Goulart, I think, on Twitter a couple of days ago in which he was saying it's Lynn Bloom, even though it looks like Lynn Blom. Oh, okay. Lynn Bloom. So just so if if Jim is listening, uh, he doesn't get mad at everyone. Um. The other thing, too, is, yeah, he might have reinvented himself and found a lot of success, but he's not even striking out a batter per inning in in Korea. I would not be expecting him to come to the United States and be somebody who's going to miss an absolute ton of bats. No, but you could hope that he at least has command to perhaps keep a lower walk rate than like a league average sort of situation. Sure. Yeah. Which, yeah, any separation you can get between your strikeout rate and your walk rate is generally good. Like even Brett Anderson, who didn't have a very high strikeout rate last year, still had a good enough uh, walk rate that he was still better than two to one in terms of strikeouts to walk. So if you any separation you can get there is positive. Yeah, so we'll right. see what happens there. Um, uh, moving on, I know Brewers fans rejoiced uh, when they re-signed Alex Claudio for uh, one year, $1.75 million. Yeah, it was hilarious because they turned him down and the projected MLB trade rumors uh, arbitration amount was $2.2 million. So they, quote-unquote, uh, saved... $450,000 by releasing him, letting him go on the open market, and then re-signing him at this lower figure. It really does, because I think when we talked about it, we if there was any player that they just moved on from when they non-tendered, that we thought that the, the guy was just gone, that that meant he wasn't coming back, I think I would have picked Claudio as that guy, that he just was done and he wasn't coming back. And he was the first guy, now there may be more, but he was the first guy they brought back, and... I'm still not sure exactly how this fits with the what we assume is the new rule of three batters minimum, because if you look at what he did last year, like over a third of his appearances would have violated that rule. So so I, I think that you are overthinking the rule a little bit too much, because even if he somehow isn't workable in the new rule that hasn't even happened yet, and we don't necessarily even know what's going to be happening with it yet. They can cut him in for under two million and just be done. It doesn't. It it's not. It doesn't matter. Like this is when they went and got uh, who was it? Uh, the the dude that they ended up bringing in. He was a, a kind of a nobody pitcher and ended up going to the Mets and they just kind of cut him. And, and he is like two years ago. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, it's, Swarzak. It's like no, no. <laughs> Swarzak, good bet. But no, it was. Uh, oh man, I can't. Uh, uh, Tommy Malone. Oh, sure. Tell them one. Say Don, they, Dan Jennings. They, I don't know. When they ended up just bringing uh, Malone in and they were just like, yeah, well, a couple million bucks. And if we don't, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. We don't really care. Um, well, and also and, we have to remember with that rule, he can finish an inning. So it's not like they can't bring him in situationally uh, to basically get out of an inning. But then he has to get that guy out. Like if he, he comes does. in with two outs and there's a lefty up, he has to get that guy out because if the inning extends, he's obligated to stay in there. So Sure, but also the hand-wringing with the Alex Claudio usage this season was, or this past season, um, they would leave him in to face batters that people thought that he shouldn't be in against. So, I mean, they showed some faith in leaving him in in those situations. Yeah, maybe they were, they actually are more willing to leave him in longer than we saw. They just didn't because they didn't have to, but they would well, in this I- situation. It's fair. The other, 
a couple of quick things about Claudio. Number one, he does have the pitch mix to be able to find some success against righties. I know I talked about this last year. He has had success against righties in the past. If you're talking about a dude who's whose fastball changeup, that does lend itself to being able to get opposite handed batters out a little bit more than somebody who's going like fastball slider from the left side. And the other thing, too, is I this ultimately was just the Brewers being like, we can sign guys for cheaper on the open market than we can in arbitration. And a lot of the time arbitration is going to be more expensive than it is on the open market. And they're just like, we're just going to let y'all go. And there are some of you that if you'll sign for cheaper, we'd love to have you back. But if not, whatever, go find another job somewhere else. And Claudio was somebody that was willing to sign for cheaper. So they brought him back. Yeah. Uh, the Brewers were reportedly outbid by the Blue Jays. Uh, two years, $24 million for Tanner Roark. Roark. Yeah. It's not Roark. Wait. No, Tanner Roark. Roark. Yeah. Which, great. Yeah, I mean, the thing that was interesting about it and why I put it on the rundown was because this happened before they signed the the two guys that they did sign, before they signed Lindblom and, uh, and Anderson. And it really did kind of at that point look like they weren't going to be spending money on the rotation at all. And I think it, it is it's a good point. And JP, you already brought this up a little bit that they were looking for guys. They had they had very clear price points they wanted guys at, and they were looking to get guys at those points. And they were happy to to take them at that, but weren't going to overextend on somebody. Which I think does speak to them probably not being in the market for at least on the pitching side for guys like you know Madison Bumgarner, Dallas Keuchel. Maybe they'll surprise us and do that, but. It just seems like they very much are going to stick to their plan of we're going to build through depth and hope that our development guys internally turn out to be really good. You know, hope Brandon Woodruff takes that next step into being like a true dominant ace. Uh, hope that Adrian Hauser's late season emergence as a starter proves out to be, you know, the real thing. Hey, the unjuiced ball might be the key to unlocking Corbin Burns. The unjuiced ball might be the key to unlocking Corbin Burns or... Uh, we've heard good reports. Uh, Freddie Peralta is like annihilating batters down in the winter leagues. So maybe that happens too. What's the date right now? It's just, just a data point just to bring it up. I mean, we've heard about other guys who are having uh, big winter leagues and you know, they came back and they were the same guys they'd always been. Yeah. Could be. It also might be that a guy who's, what is he? 22 is, you know, has more developing. He's working. Right. JP. Yeah. What's your hope for Freddie Garcia? Freddie Peralta. Freddie Peralta. Freddie Garcia. I don't. I think he's washed up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you no, might be done. So, um, no, Freddie Peralta. Again, the thing with Freddie Peralta and is we don't necessarily know what we're we're going to get from him. I think basically he's going to be bullpen uh, kind of full time unless something really drastically happens. I don't think anything in the winter leagues is going to tell us anything about Freddie Peralta whatsoever. Um, yeah, it's another data point. It's not a significant data point. But it's it's something it's like spring training, like, great. We don't really know what that means. Uh, it's I think if anything, it's showing that his being able to hold his velocity a little bit longer. I am a little bit surprised they're letting him throw in the winter league. Uh, and it's something a lot of guys really want to do. And so, you know, if that's something that he really wants to do to be able to go. Uh, into the Dominican League and, and pitch, and he really lobbied for it. That's great. I'm just saying I'm a little surprised that they did allow him to go. Um, well, he didn't get a lot of innings last year. He was kind of off and on, doing a lot of bouncing around, and when he was in the major leagues, and especially you know after that initial stint in the rotation, he was pitching out of the bullpen, and it was sort of inconsistent. So he has some room to like throw some innings, I think, but I would imagine they'll then tread carefully with him in spring training, and bring them along slowly. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the, in the bullpen this year, because especially if they're building their rotation in the way that they have to, their bullpen has to be uh, not just good. It has to be very good. Well, how is it going to be very good if they're shopping uh, Josh Hader? And there seems to be a lot of rumors about him. At least the Yankees uh, supposedly are pursuing him somewhat. 
Because the Yankees can never have too many yeah, I mean, relief they, pitchers. Yeah. So I, I, I guess, uh, what do you think of these uh, Josh Hader rumors at the moment? Are they legit or is it the kind of thing where the Brewers are dangling him to see if they can cash in on a guy who's just been fantastic for two seasons? I think just like in most fantasy leagues where uh, a lot of people say, well, everyone's on my, everyone's available for the right price. Yeah. Josh Hader is technically available. Nobody's going to pay what it costs to get him. So I, I think he's available in the way that like, sure, if you want to back up the truck and bring like labor Torres in, then maybe someone's interested, but there's no way the Yankees are going to do that. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I wouldn't think that Josh Hader is going anywhere. You would have to have, and the Yankees, to be fair, the Yankees do have a number of players after their, you know, all those breakouts that happened last year out of nowhere, they have a number of players that, you know, have been pushed. People like Andahar have kind of been pushed aside. They could pile up a number of players who have some big league pedigree and they could, if they, if they decided to do that and offer enough of them, I think they could maybe make an offer the Brewers would like. I just don't think they want to cut their depth like that because they but saw how important if, that depth was last year. If you're the Yankees, just go buy Dylan Batantes and be done with it. Like that'd be so stupid. I, the only thing, and, and another reason why I think Josh Hader isn't going anywhere is the trade that we just saw basically happen today where uh, Corey Kluber is going to Texas and he's going to Texas for Delino DeShields Jr. and Emmanuel Classe. Yeah, but I mean, and the difference with Kluber is you have uh, one year left for his uh, deal, basically is what the Rangers are acquiring. Well, they oh, have an option for another year. They have one more option. But it's $18 million. It's one that vests. Yeah, but he, he's expensive. He's, he's, he's not, not He's not nearly as cheap as Josh Hader is. He's coming off a injury plague season. Where he wasn't, when he was on the field, he wasn't really that good. He put up a 580 ERA in 35 innings. So, JP looks pissed about this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's this entire, if you can get somebody who is a potentially five or six win pitcher for a, a reliever who's not even a closer and doesn't even show that he has the command to be able to consistently get some, somebody out and Delino DeShields, who is often negative value. Like, I don't understand. And everyone's like, well, he does cost money. Well, he does cost money. That's right. And the Brewers probably have like 55 million they're sitting on right now. Anyway. See, we warned you up front that he was going to bring the hot takes. If, if Cleveland thought he was a five to six win pitcher at this point though they wouldn't be trading him for this they're talking about trading uh, francisco lindor they're they wanted to cut they wanted to cut cash i don't anyone who has watched what cleveland has done the last five years know that they're just looking to cut cash yeah i mean they are definitely doing they're trying to do like a mini rebuild here in the middle of they came off a good competitive cycle and they have a, a very good young uh core slash farm system to kind of work with and i think they're trying to set up the next window for themselves but and and you know how you do that is you get your seventh or eighth inning reliever and a dude who might not even be on the team in july that's what you do well i mean yeah it's it's fair i just i get why if they don't believe in Corey kluber if they think that he is washed basically i can perfectly see why they would do this and i can also see from yeah. texas's perspective why they would give up relatively little and say you know it's just money we'll take a shot and roll the dice on this and see what you know what he still has left if he can be something good for us great perfect if not then it's just money basically we didn't give up much else to take the role i think anyone who is willing to spend a hundred million dollars on zach wheeler but wasn't willing to trade a high-end young reliever for Corey kluber for potentially two seasons they're insane what would be the comparable uh, players from the Brewers' perspective if they would have been in on that? Like Freddie Peralta and Keon Broxton. So everybody should be pissed that the Brewers didn't go and acquire him for that price. Well, no, I mean, I understand there there are, are risks involved and there are risks involved with everything. There's a risk that Emmanuel Classe might not even be a, a dude who's in the big leagues in two years. And the vesting option with Corey Kluber is based on the fact that he's healthy enough to throw a number of innings and doesn't end the year on the IL. And you're talking about a dude who's got so much pedigree over a long period of time. And yes, he's older. And yeah, he struggled with some injuries last year. But find me a place that you're going to be able to go and get a potential all-star pitcher for under $20 million a year. 
Yeah, it seems like one that yeah, you can't blame the Rangers for making that deal. So, uh, Okay, so we also have a report from uh, Jose Rivera and Ken Rosenthal. The Brewers are close to a deal on Avisail Garcia. Uh, that would be adding another outfielder to the roster. You know, And they kept uh, Ben Gamble. Uh, when it came time to make their decisions on guys they were going to go into arbitration with. So um, it, would that be adding another guy to the roster because they have the expanded roster this season? Like, is that how he fits? Because they don't generally carry that many outfielders. It seems to indicate to me that they're thinking about, they're seriously thinking about having Ryan Braun play a lot of first base. Like, I think that that's what the first thing that this tells me. And I think it's it's interesting because, Garcia is a guy who can hit. He's a Domingo Santana-ish sort of hitter. Um, he has gone through definitely ups and downs. He had a bad who's season a, in who's 2018. Available? <laughs> right, Domingo Santana is available. The difference is, is that Garcia is a better defender. And so there's there's more there in terms of like defensive skill. And he could potentially move over to right field and bump Yelich back to left field. And so you could see something like that happen. I think that it's it's interesting. He's not an anchor bat, but he would definitely be another guy that you could add to the team who could potentially put up, you know, solidly above average offensive numbers and be a net plus for the offense of the team without being a huge drag on the defense. So it's interesting. I don't know if you would necessarily plan on having him be a 650 plate appearance type guy i think well that was going to be my question is he closer to an everyday outfielder than what ben gamel is i think i think in terms of his overall production and what he can do i think he is you would feel more comfortable with garcia at a at a corner spot than you would with ben gamel having to play every single day the the biggest thing for me which is kind of interesting about uh, Garcia more generally is you kind of look at it and say, well, maybe this is a dude you can kind of platoon as he's a right-hander. You got Ben Gamble's who, who's a lefty and you can kind of play with those things. Uh, Garcia actually was better against righties last year than he was lefties. He's shown an ability to have some success. I wrote about him at baseball prospectus a lot last year saying that he was actually uh, under owned in a lot of fantasy leagues last year. And he has shown spurts where he can be, you know, frankly, like excellent. If you look at what he did in the second half last year, he put uh, OPS over over 800. He had 293 with a 330 uh, on base percentage. He's he's interesting. He's he's somebody who's definitely got flaws. He's somebody who I don't necessarily know what the role would be. And maybe this is a little uncharitable, I guess. And it's just when I look at what the Brewers are doing this offseason, and the reason I say he's limited is is not just because of of some of the defensive issues he's shown in the past. It's the fact that he swings swings and misses a, t- a ton, right? He like swings and misses upward of 17, 18% of the time. But what it is, it, I mean, I guess I can throw it to you guys. This feels like the Brewers are doing what the Rays do. Yeah, I mean, I could see that argument where they're, basically just trying to collect i mean when you say they're trying to do what the rays do they're just trying to collect players who could potentially be above average in a certain role and yeah they're they're getting a, a ton of guys at uh really low-end contracts that they feel could potentially outproduce what they're being paid uh they're not getting anybody who's necessarily you know a star they're providing themselves financial flexibility going forward and they're doing all of this stuff in which you know it it, it's it's depth over it's depth over impact and luckily they've got you know they've got Kristen Yelich and they've got somebody like Hira but at the same time they've got they've actually got room to go and get that impact like I and this is something that you know, I talked a little bit about on Twitter and I was the contracts they're able to get some of these depth plays on are actually really nice depth plays. Garcia is absolutely if you can get Garcia on, you know, one year, five million dollar deal, that's 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 fine. Like Lynn Bloom is is an interesting piece. Brett Anderson, if he can do what he can do over a longer period of time, he can maybe fill the Gio Gonzalez role. Like there are a lot of interesting things that they're doing. 
And normally what you would like to see them do then is pair these really interesting depth pieces who can potentially outproduce what they're being paid and go and actually get somebody that can be an impact guy. And who's and that for you? Is that Josh Donaldson? Well, it was a lot of guys. I mean, you could have been interested in in Rendon. You could have been interested in Grandall. You could have been interested in all of these pieces. And right now, yeah, maybe it's Donaldson. Maybe it would have been going for somebody like salary dump, like Corey Kluber. Um, it could have. It could be another salary dump. I, you know, I I don't actually think this would be a wonderful idea. But depending on what the Red Sox are trying to do, like David Price is sounds to me like he's basically going to be given away if you're willing to pay a little bit of the a little bit of the contract and they have the room to go in and actually get proven above average deals. And what they're unwilling to do is to, to do anything in which uh, they are potentially doing something that isn't quote unquote smart. And it's something that Andrew Friedman, I, it was what, two years ago, I think Andrew Friedman said this to Annie McCullough, and it was on Twitter and it was making the rounds yesterday, uh, a couple of weeks ago in which he said, if you're rational on every single free agent, you will always finish third. And yeah. I think 100% right. And so we can talk about the fact that, yeah, maybe this is a move that has a little bit of downside in the fourth year or whatever when you're talking about somebody like Yasmani Grandal. But like at some point, you actually have the budget to do something that isn't quote unquote rational and not have to face the downside of it. Yeah, I mean, would... I think you brought this up. I don't know if you've discussed this on the air yet, though. The idea of J.D. Martinez, because that seems like a really interesting one because Martinez, I believe, has three years left on his contract. He's making into the 30s, I think. But the Brewers, as you point out, certainly have the space to be able to do that. And Martinez is the kind of impact bat that really could reshape the Brewers lineup and give them, you know, a pairing of Yelich and and uh and JD Martinez, along with you know your casting heroes of the world, that gives you a that gives you a really good place to start for having an above average offense. Like you don't have to have crazy depth if you have two hitters like that to build around. Is that something that you would be willing to pursue if the Red Sox were willing to basically salary dump him for you know relatively little? I mean. Obviously, adding somebody like J.D. Martinez to the to the offense would be great. But at the same time, then you have to say, is Ryan Braun then going to be your first baseman? You're certainly not going to go after Garcia if you're going to be looking at somebody like J.D. Martinez. And so there are a lot of question marks that come along with that kind of move. But it's it's something that the Brewers should be looking to leverage all of their assets at all times to be able to acquire as much depth and down and, and talent as they can. And what it does seem to me that they're willing to do at all times is to be able to maximize their 40 man roster and their 26 man roster. Now to be able to acquire as many guys as possible. We've looked at it with options. We've looked at it with sending guys, you know, taxiing them back and forth between AAA. We've talked about, the willingness to try guys at different positions that don't necessarily fit their profile, a la, you know, Mike Moustakis or, or Travis Shaw. We've looked at their ability to go to Korea. We've looked at their ability to continuously try to, to look at the international market, which it looks like they've done to a really nice effect this past summer again. And the one thing that they're not willing to do by all accounts is actually use their payroll space when they have it to go and get out and go and get an impact guy. Yeah, there was another thing that was brought up on Twitter this week that I wanted to get your take on as well, JP. Uh, Brandon Belt was mentioned as a possibility in a trade with the Brewers. And Belt has a couple years left of, you know, over $20 million a year salary. He would be a very expensive ad and has been, you know, somewhat of a underperformer offensively in San Francisco. Though some of that is probably the park, but he's been somewhat of an underperformer. How interested are you in taking on somebody like that if the Giants were willing to send back, you know, a, a solid to good prospect along with him to facilitate that deal in the, the salary dump? Would you be doing that at this point? Because that is a little bit more of like trying to build for the future as opposed to build for right now, unless you really did like Brandon Belt. Uh, I think that Brandon Belt has a little bit of... <laughs> Is it possible to have prospect fatigue for a dude who's been in the big leagues for like 10 years? Um, but it's somebody that everyone has been waiting for a breakout for so long and it never happened 
that everyone is now treating Brandon Belt like, you know, Eric Hosmer. And Brandon Belt has had a DRC plus over 100 in every single year since 2012. I would say he's a guy that his power numbers never broke out, but he had some really good offensive seasons. Yeah, and he's somebody that's always going to get on base. He's somebody that is going to provide defensive flexibility and or not defensive flexibility, but uh, defensive value at first base, especially, you know, talking about having some uh, defensive holes in the infield. Obviously, Brandon Belt would help there. But maybe it, it, you know, the power plays up a little bit at Miller Park. I'm not necessarily sure. But if you look at what, you know, 2015, he had a 116 DRC plus, which means overall offensive value, 16% better than league average. 26, uh, 2016 was 118, and then it was 110, 108, 106. And so it is kind of like going down, trickling down a little bit but it's still consistently above the league average. And no, it's not impact at first base. But if you're being able to do it in a way in which you don't really have to pay anything but money, I mean, I'd much rather still just go out and get Edwin Encarnacion because I think he can be a better offensive bat and probably only cost, you know, eight to $10 million on a one-year contract. But I, if Brandon Belt ended up coming in, I think he provides some value. But, I don't think it's I don't think it's impact value whatsoever, but I think it's somebody that is going to be a two win player. Well, if you're going to do that and to facilitate this deal, the Giants are willing to give up a prospect of impact. Does that make, are, are they willing to or are you just saying that would be it's being a done, way for you to it's being it? done around the big leagues right now. Teams are doing this. I so I don't think there is any scenario in which the Giants would move Brandon Belt in which they had to give up a prospect. OK, so you don't think you think that's basically a non-starter. That they wouldn't I think do it. They would, I think they would absolutely trade Brandon Belt, but I don't think that they are going to be attaching a prospect in order to move money. They just brought in Zach Cozart and ate that cash to be able to get a prospect. They're not adding prospects to be able to save themselves some money. So they would then eat cash to get a better return from the Brewers on this, or just eat cash to facilitate a deal if this were to happen? I, I mean, maybe. I think they would eat cash to get a better prospect. I mean, Brandon Belt is not a negative value. He's not a negative asset. You're not looking to salary dump it. You're still getting a dude who's going to be a big league starter in almost any big league team across the board. He's just not an impact guy. And yeah, maybe he's being paid $20 million, but he's somebody that's shown an ability to, to have value over a long period of time. I don't, I don't see it as a traditional salary dump. A la, you know, I, I brought it up earlier, but David, David price, this is somebody that is going to, still be somebody that can can provide value over you know 160 62 games for somebody that wants to compete especially if they've got other bats uh, around him that he doesn't have to be you know your number three number four hitter okay well in that case i yeah i would not expect them to make that move just because they haven't been willing to like take on money to get you know basically yeah you are you can make the case that you are getting value for the dollar but they're looking to get surplus value on the dollar and i don't see them spending 20 million dollars or whatever it is on this year's payroll to get you know basically just you know a, a fine first baseman i would think they would go into the the free agent market go after edwin Encarnacion or somebody like that before they would make a move for belt so okay okay we're going to move on to some questions uh we have a patreon question from uh, Mark Podscarby. Uh, do you think the rotation is currently better than last year's opening day rotation? So 2020 right now, it looks like it's going to be Woodruff, uh, Brett Anderson, Hauser, Lauer. Lauer? I think Lauer's going to be in the rotation. Lynn Bloom, Suter, Peralta, Burns. You listed everybody for 2020 because it's so up in the air. Uh, 19 was Chassin, Davies, Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, Anderson, and Nelson. Um, I guess which of those do you have more confidence in? I think it... I think probably 2020, just because I think uh, a healthy Woodruff is somebody that I'd like to see over a longer period of time and having another year to be able to establish himself in the big leagues. But I actually don't think the 2020 rotation is all that different than 2019. I think they all have pretty high variance. I think they all have they. We saw last year that guys that we were pretty confident in still had pretty large downsides. And if they hit, that's great. And if they don't, it looks bad. Um, and I think that if you look at Anderson, you look at Hauser, Lauer, Lindblom, Suter, I think probably is in the bullpen, though it'd be interesting to see him in the rotation. I think Peralta's definitely in the bullpen. Burns might come back and start. All of those guys, aside from Woodruff, you can see them pitching so badly that they're not in the rotation by July. Yeah, though you could also see, I think, in the case of 
at least with Hauser, um, Lindblom, Peralta, Burns, you could see any one of them also breaking out and becoming, you know, an above average starter. Not yeah, by but leaps I'm, and bounds, but, but... I was going to say, literally, my point was last year, we also had this exact same argument about the rotation. Is last year, there were three or four guys that we could say, you could see them all taking a step forward and becoming legitimately above average big league starters. It's just that the variance on all of them is big. This isn't... These are just different guys doing the exact same strategy as they had last year. Yeah, I think I'll take the 2020 because you are getting post-breakout Brandon Woodruff as opposed to pre-breakout Brandon Woodruff. We had hopes that Brandon Woodruff could do what he did last year. You're taking 2020 because you saw what happened in 2019. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I said, right? 2020, it's You take 2020 because you've got Woodruff who's been able to establish himself over one year. Well, yeah, the 2019 Brewers rotation didn't have anybody who was as good and established a commodity as Brandon Woodruff is right now. So they, they have a better... I mean, I think people had a lot of hope for Chassin to at least, you know, somewhat come back like he had the previous season. Not... I don't think anybody expected the bottom to fall out like it did. Yeah, but there's worlds of difference. Even between 2018, Yuli who was a perfectly cromulent starting pitcher, and what Brandon Woodruff did in his healthy innings last year. There's there's miles of difference there. So Woodruff was a much better pitcher. Oh, I, I would yes, I would take Brandon Woodruff. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying when you were going into 2019, I think you're undervaluing what people kind of hope Shasin would be. At least he'd give them innings, which ended up not happening. Yeah. So there, there were a lot of things that went wrong just on that part of the rotation. And there is a legitimate question about how healthy Brandon Woodruff is going to be going forward because we have seen him now, each of the last two years, have injuries that caused him to miss significant amounts of time. When he was back, when he was pitching, he was good, but he has missed significant amounts of time each of the last two years due to injury, so you kind of have to take that into consideration. Yeah. Um, we have a Patreon question from Steve Romanesco. Uh, it seems like a lot of teams that win in the playoffs are anchored around big name pitchers. Is there a semi recent example of a bunch of middling starters like the Brewers rotation winning the world series? Yeah. The 2015 Royals, they did go out and get Johnny Cueto at the trade deadline that year. And Cueto did have a really good game for them in the world series. He was mostly not good or bad downright bad other than that in the playoffs and just wasn't like a big impact guy he was the big name that they got out to try to put them over the the hump and he did have that one great game in the world series but i don't really count that that's not he was kind of already past his prime he was no longer the johnny cueto of his reds days right he was no longer that guy so yeah the 2015 royals are the closest thing that you can comp this to where they were trying to do it based on having a bunch of really good relievers and they had three great ones, right? And basically just starting rotation depth to get them to that point and then turn it over to the bullpen and let the bullpen shut it down for the last three or four innings. So that would be the team to, if, if you want to put your hopes on something, it's the 2015 Royals. I was saying, I think that that's that's right. And the only thing then it, that makes me a little bit concerned about the whole thing is, again, right? And I said earlier, if this is your plan for the starting rotation, you have got to address the bullpen. Yeah, and we did get news this week that Corey Knable is, uh, they're not planning on him before May. Now, council did kind of leave it out in a little bit saying, we don't know, we'll see how he is when he comes into camp. But right now, we're not planning on seeing him before May in the big leagues. So I think they're taking kind of a cautious approach. We have to remember he had his surgery at the beginning of April last year because it happened very late in camp. And so his surgery, he will be on opening day less than a year out from, uh, from Tommy John. And Tommy John is a funny thing. It can sometimes be 10, 11, 12 months, but sometimes even when a guy comes back fully healthy, it can be 14, 15, 16 months. So I think they just have to be patient. Now, Suter did it in basically a year flat, but everybody is different. Not His every- arms made of rubber, so. Right. It's, yeah. And so we'll have to see. But I think that if you have Knable and Hader and you can get, I think at that point you're looking at trying to get a breakout from one more guy. You're trying to get what would be like Wall to break out. You're, you're hoping that maybe Devin Williams is a big breakout guy. I think that when you start with Knable and, and Hader, you're starting at a pretty good place for a bullpen, but it's not 
quite to the level we're talking about with with the Royals. You have to either hope that somebody else breaks out or you have to go out and add somebody like Adelan Batansis. Okay, so, so we have a- I, I really, really quickly, I think that we saw last year how dangerous it is to assume that somebody comes back from injury as quickly as we did. We, we talked about Nelson for however long that he was potentially going to come back, and I know that Tommy John surgery is different than, than shoulders, but I cannot imagine that the Brewers are going to be banking on Knable being anything that they can rely on over, you know, four months, much less, you know, a half a year. I don't necessarily know, even if he comes back, we don't necessarily know what his command's going to look like. And his command has been bad at times. So I would imagine that he's going to be a wild card and they, they've got the ability and there are so many good relievers out there that they can make sure that they can go out and not have to hope on somebody like a Bobby wall coming back and becoming an above average, you know, bullpen guy that can, that can uh, absolutely lock it down. And I think that they actually would like to be able to go and get somebody so they can move Josh Hader and not have to rely on him to close games. Yeah, that would, it would make perfect sense. I think that they're with the bullpen, especially they're always willing to be very flexible. They're willing to kind of take it as it comes. And I would expect that they will probably add a bullpen arm before the off season ends. Okay, and finally, we have a question from a new patron, uh, Jay Google. Uh, He asks, are we maybe seeing a new trend where lower-tier pitchers are going to take early offers instead of waiting on the market, and does that affect anything Stearns does? I don't know if it's a long-term trend so much as it's something that's happened with this market just because of the way things are playing out this winter. I think we would need to figure out why things are happening faster this winter than the last couple of years. And I don't think I've heard a good explanation for why more contracts are getting done so much earlier than they were in the last two off seasons. I haven't heard a good explanation for it. So I'm not sure if this is something that we can count on going forward or if it's something that is just sui generis and it's just something that we're seeing this year. So we're going to have to wait and see how that works. I do think it is much more of a seller's market than it has been the last two years. Players are getting paid more. And I think that that doesn't necessarily play to the brewer's advantage. Uh, The way they want to do things as JP has laid out here is to get value on every transaction that they make. And that is harder to do in a seller's market than it is in a buyer's market. So I think that it's still, the jury is still very much out on this, but it's trending sort of in a direction away from what the brewer's, would prefer. I I am a little bit hesitant to say that anything with the market is actually markedly better than what we've seen in the past. Uh, I mean, yes, there have been some big, big name guys that got paid, but that's happened in previous seasons when the market was ostensibly broken as well. So I don't, you know, we were talking about Machado and, and Bryce Harper getting, th- you know, what is it, 300 million plus deals last year. And so the fact that, you know, a couple of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball ended up getting paid quite a bit of money isn't necessarily big news. And and Rendon actually didn't get paid as much as I figured he'd get paid. And I think the biggest thing that is happening is more and more guys are taking early deals because they know that the longer they wait actually doesn't help them. Um, And I don't necessarily know if more guys are taking early deals, I guess. I think the the top end of the market has happened a little bit more quickly. But outside of maybe, I don't know, Moustakis and maybe Tanner Rourke, like there haven't been any deals where I was like, wow, they got more money than I thought. Everybody else has been maybe taking some early deals. But I mean, maybe I'm missing some, but I still think it's what we've been seeing is that the middle of the middle of the free agent market continues to hollow out and there are more guys that are taking low end deals and the high end deals are still just what they were in the past. The only thing I was surprised with the the high end deals is it doesn't seem like there were any buyouts or not buyouts, but uh, opt out clauses. Well, I think that if you look at just the guys who came off the brewers these last years, I think every one of them got more than what I would have expected it, with maybe the exception of Grandall, because I, I legitimately did not know what Grandall was going to get. But Drew Pomerantz getting four for 36, that was, you know, pretty healthy on his end. I think Jordan Lyles getting, what was it, two for 16, two for 18? Yeah, but that's not a big, that's not a big deal. That's basically paying him to be a one-win player over two years. Right, but and I think that they, those guys don't get those contracts last year. I don't think they get as much last year as they did this year. 
I mean, yeah, maybe. I, it's kind of it's that's a little bit of like you, there's no way to answer that question. But I, I like Yasmani Grandal getting that kind of money is not really that surprising. Um, again, he still didn't even get the uh, did he uh, did he even get the the qualifying offer per year? Yes, I don't think he, he just could. barely got over. I think that's it. basically yes. what he was at. Yeah, yeah, and it's just the, barely over it. I think if the qualifying the, offer was like seventeen, and he got like eighteen point two five. And then you had Drew Pomeranz, who was basically like almost a two-win pitcher for the Brewers himself out of the bullpen, all all just in like two months or whatever it was. Then you've got something in which, yeah, he got four years, but he got four years at like eight million dollars a pop. That's that's not anything for somebody that has shown the ability to get a high-end thing. If anything, what the only thing that's ever been surprising about these deals is the fourth year. That's it. It's not actually the money. It's the fourth year that people have been like, wow, I didn't think somebody would go four years. Yeah, and I think that that is, but that is a legitimate point, though, that like guys getting that that extra year on the back of a contract is legitimately good for them, and you know, it, it is a sign that the, the market is at least a little bit more seller friendly than it was in the past i guess but every single one of those fourth year offers had to come from a team that wasn't really in contention and is not likely to get those guys unless they end up going the fourth year the white Sox are not going to get anybody like grandall unless they go the fourth year he's going to go to somebody that wants to compete now you're not going to see somebody like pomeranz go to a team like the padres in which he's maybe the third best reliever in that in that team uh, and they certainly aren't showing that they can compete now. And you're going to say the exact same thing about Mustakas, where he's been talking about how much he wants to go to a contender. And you've got somebody like the Reds, who are maybe the fourth best team in the National League Central. Yeah. Every single one of these guys, they needed the fourth year. Otherwise, they were going to go somewhere else. And so if you've got fringy teams that are looking to put themselves over the edge, those are the teams that have always gone one more year than than expected yeah i mean if there's anything that's different it's the fact that this year there are basically only two maybe three teams that are trying to absolutely tank to the point that they get that they don't want to sign anyone and in the past we've seen that being more than just like two teams yeah i think that the best evidence for what i'm saying is the mustaka situation obviously because last year he also was unencumbered by a qualifying offer and he gets this one year 10 million dollar deal with the brewers and this year you know a, a year older uh coming off of a better season granted but not markedly so like he was better in 2019 he was he still wasn't. mike moustakis he was still he was he was still mike moustakis yes and he got you know four for 64 and granted that is all about the team needing to pay a premium to get him to want to come there but we didn't see as much of that last year when teams were you know paying premiums to get guys to come there. So it, it at least has loosened up the market a little bit. My entire point isn't it, it's it's that what ends up happening in a free agent market when more teams are willing to try to win. Yeah, that, that is the only reason that you've seen anything happen this year. That's a little bit different than years in the past. Mark, Mike Moustakis has basically been a, a three win player, a three or four win player in every single year since 2015. The odd, the the fact that some team is willing to give him less than basically give him what? 14, 15 million dollars a year over four years. That's not a huge outlay for somebody that's shown to be that consistent. Yeah. In his fourth year, maybe he's only a win, a win player. But like, who cares? Yeah, it's just something that we weren't seeing the last couple of years, even though in the past it was like the, the standard. You would expect Mike Moustakas to get. A contract like this in 2016 2015 you would have thought that that's what the kind of contract he would get but then the last couple off seasons he didn't get those contracts and now he did so yeah good for, good for moustakis kind of an odd signing for the reds but we kind of went over that before we did uh, um but anyways we're gonna wrap this up this week uh jp you want to give a shout out to our new patron well you already did but jay google friend of the podcast well friend of steve's yes <laughs> i have i've also met him you, you two have traded beer back and forth. I was going to say, thank so. you for the beer, Jay. You didn't need to do that, but I appreciate it. 
Yeah, so uh, thanks again for joining that. And remember, anybody can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mketailgate. Patrons at the Ball and Glove level and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at mketailgate. You can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast Network. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you listen to your podcast. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.